Hey, can we give it up for Zach? Being a grown man and ordering grilled cheese and tomato soup on a first date, nothing screams sexy like a classic American cheese, grilled some butter, white bread, you know. <laughs> that gets me, man. That, that, that cracks me up. I don't know why. You all doing good? You guys doing good? Hey, how weird is it that it snowed? It's October 10th. Like, it's not supposed to do that yet. Like, in Virginia, we get maybe like one or two snows a year, like in December or like January. But I don't know. I wasn't emotionally ready for the snow this morning. And so, but how many people, like you loved it, you embraced it, like you are ready. You've got Michael Buble playing on your Spotify list. Like you are in the zone. This is your season, your moment. Hey, I know Andrew asked this earlier, but how many people, you're here for the very first time? First time coming to Young Adults, checking us out. Give it up. Hey, I want to make it clear to you guys, um, you do not have to believe everything that we believe to belong here. And I know I say this every week, but I mean it. Um, you don't have to believe what we believe to fit in, but we are going to unashamedly talk about Jesus because I believe that Jesus is the most amazing person to ever walk the face of the earth. And I'm gonna take it a step further and say, I believe that Jesus was more than a person. I believe that Jesus was God in the flesh who have come to forgive us of our sins and give us just an unfiltered relationship with God the Father. And so we're gonna talk about Jesus tonight. We're gonna talk about um, how he wants us to steward our lives and our relationships. And if you don't know, Last week, we kicked off our relationship series, I Love You So Bad. How many people were here for last week's message? It was so important. If you weren't here, go online, check it out, watch it. You need to watch it because tonight sort of builds on what we talked about last week. But if you weren't here, I want to catch you up really quick. Andrew last week talked about how when you are in a season of singleness, when you're not dating, when you are single, ready to mingle, you're scoping and you're hoping, you know, you're strategically sitting by certain people. Don't act like you don't. You came in here early to save that seat. When you're in a season of singleness, you need to have a vision, not only for who you're trying to be, but the person you want to spend the rest of your life with. And the vision goes so far beyond looks. Listen, abs, six packs turn into kegs real quick. Like Andrew said last week, gravity runs its course, but character, character is what's going to matter. And so last week we talked about what is your vision? What, what, what do you want out of a relationship? Who are, who's the type of person, not the look of a person, the type of person that you're looking for and, and make that your standard and don't settle, fight for that. And then be the type of person that God has called you to be in a relationship. So that was last week and tonight. Last week we sort of covered the, the season of singleness. Tonight I want to talk about dating and what God talks about when, he, when he, he talks about people stewarding their sexuality and their relationships in a season where they're not married, they're not under covenant with one another, where people are not married, but, but you're in this season of dating. And so if you have your Bible, how many people brought their Bible, old school, leather bound? Any fake leather people in the room? Fake leather? All right, two people. Awesome. All right, we are going to go to two places. We're going to go to 1 Peter 
chapter 1 and Romans chapter 6. Tonight, I'm going to be reading out of the message version. I know that there are some of you in here that go to Christian school and your professors who may or may not be jaded. I don't know. Like, they don't have good things to say about the message. Uh, they say, oh, it's not a literal translation. No translation of the Bible is literal. However, I will say that when I study, I study in the ESV, which is a more word-for-word translation. And so if you hear me read out of the message and for whatever reason that offends you, just know I did my homework, I did my research, I made sure it all lined up so you can kind of put your guard down and just listen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1. You can tell your professor I said that. No, I'm kidding. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1. Most important version of the Bible is the one you read. Okay, I'm done. All right, 1 Peter 1. Starting in verse 13, says this. It says, roll up your sleeves. Put your mind in gear. Be totally ready to receive the gifts that is coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of doing evil, doing just whatever you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life that is shaped by God, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I'm holy. You be holy. In Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 13, it says this. It says, this means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it a time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with your old way of life, but throw yourself wholeheartedly and full time, remembering that you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. The title of my message tonight is this, Dating in the Gray. Dating in the Gray. If you're taking notes, write that down, get you a bigger house, better yard in heaven. Taking notes, it's in there, in the message. Trust me, I'm kidding, okay. <laughs> Dating in the Gray, let's pray before this thing goes somewhere it's not supposed to. All right, Father God, we love you so much. Lord, uh, what an honor it is to be here, to be in your presence, to uh, get an opportunity to just sit and worship you, to, to commune with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that tonight, as we talk about a very serious, very real issue uh, of dating and, and the way to date correctly and the way to incorrectly date, God, I pray that tonight you would begin to prepare everybody's heart that you would preface everything I say with the grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ. That God, in you, we are new creations. That there's no condemnation for anybody who's in Jesus Christ. And so God, our desire is to learn to honor you with our sexuality and with our relationships. And so tonight, God, would you speak to us? Would you challenge our hearts and ways of thinking that might not line up to what your word says? God, would you encourage us to keep on living the way you have called us to live because there's a reward to it. There's blessing in it. There's favor in it. And God, tonight we direct all of our attention to you, to Jesus and the cross. Jesus is in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. All right, I got a question for you guys. How many people in this room have ever been on a date? How many people have ever been on a date? There's a lot of you that haven't raised your hand, so you are either the loneliest group of people I've ever seen or you're just not choosing to participate. If you've been on a date, raise your hand. All right, that's better. That's, that's kind of what I was expecting. That's, that's kind of what I was looking for here. Dating is one of the strangest and weirdest things if you honestly think about it, Ashley's with me. I love that. She's already, she's already shouting me down a little bit. Dating is one of the weirdest and strangest things that I feel like we as people do. 
Now, I want you to track with me here because this goes behind every single date that ever happens, but especially first dates. This, think of this first date process, okay? You identify somebody that you are attracted to physically. Now, this means, if we're being honest, you have stalked them via social media for the past three to six months to see what they look like with sweatpants, hair tied, chilling with no makeup on, like see what they look like, dolled up. Shout out to Drake. He watches every week, Drake. We love you. <laughs> How cool would that be, though? That'd be awesome. But you stalk them for three to six months. You try to get the vibe, like see what they like to do, see who they hang out with, like see what they look like. Like you identify somebody you're attracted to. Step two, you strategically place yourself in a position to either approach that person or be approached by that person. Now, this goes back to how good your ability to stalk is, because this means you know where they like to be on Thursday nights, which you know they're at YA. You know where they like to be on Fridays and Saturdays, what service they go to on the weekend on Sunday. So you're a greeter, first one to shake their hand as they walk into the door. Like, you know, you have done your homework. You, you've strategized how to be approachable or how to position yourself to approach. Now, here's the thing. Being in the room isn't enough. You have to strategize the approach. And now there are two methods, two strategies when it comes to the art of the approach. The first is inception. Now, inception is when you slowly integrate yourself into the friend group. And here is sort of the hope and the heart behind the inception method. It is this, that you kind of trickle your way into the friends, get invited into some hangouts, you know, IHOP or Buffalo Wings, whatever, like one night. And then one night the group text is together and you've, you've officially kind of become part of the friend group. And you throw out a plan and everybody agrees to it. And then slowly, one by one, every one of uh, your friend group drops off except for you and that special person and that is the inception approach. Some of y'all are like, that, that's more notes than you've ever taken at Young Adults. You're like, insert into friend group. Okay, throw out an invite to do something. Tell everybody to drop out. Second, second approach. And think of how weird this is. Like, it's honorable, but, it, but it's weird. You as a complete stranger just approach another complete stranger and ask them to do something. Like you as a stranger approach another stranger and pretty much saying without saying, hey, I'm physically attracted to you. I would love for me and you to go grab dinner sometime even though you have no idea who I am. You have no idea what's on my record. You have no idea about my past. Like I would like to pick you up at your home so I know where you live and then <laughs> take you out to dinner. Now here's the thing, your, your, your invitation can either be accepted or denied. If it is denied, all that means is the person that you have been stalking via social media for three to six months has unfortunately been stalking somebody else for three to six months. And it's time for you to open Instagram back up and just keep on rolling through your options. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. We're actually going to talk about that in a little bit, but don't do that. But if the invitation is accepted, think about this. Two complete strangers come together, coffee, dinner, whatever. If you're like Zach, same stra uh, different strangers go to the same place and have these conversations. <laughs> and you ask them 
a litany of questions about themselves. Now, what you're actually doing is you're running them through a filter to see if they are the type of person that can match these unspoken expectations that you have started to form since you were three years old. And so these two complete strangers start running themselves through a filter. And if everything goes smoothly, you might just get a second date. Dating is a very sort of weird thing that we do. But what makes this process of dating even harder, especially if you're a Christian, is that the Bible never once talks about dating. The Bible never specifically addresses dating or how to date. You can't turn to Matthew and see where Jesus says, hey, don't take the same girls to the same spot. I'm sorry, I'm done. <laughs> Last one. I've been waiting for this moment for such a long time. But you can't turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke, whatever, Paul. Paul was single his whole life, so his dating advice probably wouldn't have done much for anybody. Like, But you can't turn in the Bible and say, oh, okay, as a Jesus follower, this is how I'm supposed to approach this season of life. This is how I'm supposed to date. God doesn't actually say anything when it comes to dating. But what God does say, and he talks about this quite often, what he does have an opinion on and what he does uh, have thoughts towards is how somebody in a season where they are looking for a spouse should steward their sexuality and steward their relationships. God might not say anything about dating specifically, but he does have a lot to say about how you in your singleness or you in this dating season of life should steward your sexuality and your relationships. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details, but God says stuff like this. He says, hey, don't date people within your family. Okay, easy to follow. God, got it. Never tempted there. All right, he says, hey, treat each other with dignity and respect because both of you are made in God's image. Awesome. God, that's amazing. I want to treat my future spouse with respect. I want to treat my future spouse, spouse wow, with dignity. God, I, I want to do that. I, I love that you say that. We're both made in the image of God. Okay, I get that. I follow. He says, don't let sin dictate your relationships anymore. I'm holy. I want you to be holy. Okay, got it. God, I hope you give me a little grace. That's, that's like a process, but I want to be holy. I want to have a holy sexuality, a set-apart sexuality. I want my relationships to be seen as holy. God, I can do that. I, I want to be holy the way that you're holy. And then he says, don't have sex until you're married. Because sex is a beautiful but a powerful thing that I've created only to be done in the safety of marriage. And that's, that's the response I thought I was going to get right there. Everybody in the room is like, wait, what? Like, I was tracking with the whole don't date my cousin. Like, I'm good there. Yeah, God, I want to be treated with respect. Like, God, I want to treat my spouse with, with respect. Like, I'm not going to let sin dictate my relationship. I want to be holy, but no sex. Like, God, do you know about sex? Like, sex is awesome. Like, and God, have you seen them? Like, they are really attractive. And I don't know, man, but like 10 years might do a lot to somebody. And so God, like, I might need to seize the opportunity while I can. Like, God, do you know about sex? And God's like, absolutely, I know about sex. I created sex. I know it very well, actually, because I made it. And because I made it, I know exactly how sex was made to be steward 
and made to be used to be the most beautiful and powerful thing between two people that have gone into covenant with one another. I know what sex is for, and sex in this season of life is not what dating is about. And so here is a huge question I think we all have to ask ourselves. Like, what do we do when our desires butt up against what the Word of God says is to conduct holy and fruitful and favorable and blessed relationships? What do we do when our desires to have things that God says isn't great for you right now, but will be in the future? How do we handle that when our desires butt up against what God says is best in His Word? And I think we have to answer a critical question, probably the most critical question you will have to answer in every dating relationship, even in your singleness, even in your marriage. This is a question that you need to ask yourself and be honest with yourself every single moment in your sexuality and relationships, and is this. Do I believe that God's way of handling my sexuality and my relationships are actually the best way to do it? Do I actually believe, like in my heart of hearts, do I believe that God's way of handling my sexuality and handling my relationships is going to be the best way for me to do this? Do I actually trust what God is saying? Do I trust that his design for my, in, in my sexuality in this dating season of life is the best? Do I trust that being celibate until I'm married isn't just an honorable thing or a good idea? It's the right idea for me right now. Do I trust that? Do I trust that pursuing holiness and dating will actually lead to the most fulfilling kind of life that I can experience even though right now I'm young I'm single, I'm dating, guys are into me, girls are into me, they're sliding into my DMs like, God, come on, help me out. And here's what happens. When we are confronted with the question, if we think God's way is the best way, immediately what follows that question is an emotion and a fear. There's a fear that comes attached to that question if I believe God's way is the best way. And the fear is this, if I actually follow Jesus and I trust what his word says about my sexuality and about my relationships in this dating season of life, I am going to spend this season of my life lonely, by myself, unfulfilled, and sexually unsatisfied. That is the question that kind of raises its head when we, when we ask ourselves genuinely, do I trust God? with my sexuality and my relationships in this dating season of life. Because if I do, I know what that means for me. And the fear that I have in my heart is that I'm going to be lonely because I'm going to be the only person kind of living this kind of life. I'm going to be unfulfilled because, man, I want to be in a relationship. But, but I know what this person sort of expects from me. And I'm going to be sexually unsatisfied. God, like I am in my prime right now. Like I don't want to wait two years, three years, five years, whatever it is. Like I'm ready now. And God's like, you think you're ready now. You're not ready now. Like, God, I'm afraid. And ultimately what we think is, man, I want to experience the best kind of life. I'm not going to experience the best kind of relationships, and I'm not going to experience the best kind of sex if I really follow Jesus and his word in this dating season of life. And so if we buy into this fear, 
If we allow this fear to take root in our heart, if we allow this fear to run its course in our mind and sink into our soul, the way we sort of filter and run our relationships no longer is how can I be holy the way God is holy? The way we do our relationships is no longer how can I honor God with my sexuality and my relationships? The new filter for what we kind of dictate our relationships is this. How far can I go before I cross a line. How far can I sort of push this thing before I cross any lines? And our new standard for dating and trying to honor God in our sexuality and relationships is how close can I get to this line before I technically cross it? How far can I go and still lay my head in my pillow at night and feel good about myself and not feel any shame or conviction from the Holy Spirit? How far can I go before I cross that line. And this is what I like to call dating in the gray. Now, I want to preface this for a minute because this, in the wrong context, can seem like a sort of wag your finger message. But just totally upfront, transparent, this is my story. Like before I met Jesus and even after I became a follower of Jesus, this was one of the hardest areas in my life that God had to, had to grow me in and walk me in and sanctify me in. And so hear this from a pastor who loves you guys. This is not me saying, you're wrong, I'm right, follow after me. This is me saying, learn from my mistakes. Because I promise you, there'd be nothing more that I want for you than to walk into a marriage with less baggage than I carried in. And so this is kind of the heart of where this is coming from. Dating in the gray. What happens when you begin to date in the gray is you sort of form your own pseudo-morality. And you sort of, it's, it's loosely kind of based on God's word, like loosely not, but you have your own sort of pseudo-morality where, okay, this is wrong. I'm never going to cross that line because this is wrong. And I know that this over here is probably like the ideal sort of perfect relationship, but I don't know, man. I'm afraid I don't want to miss out on anything. So what I'm going to do, I'm not going to do anything that's wrong, but I might not necessarily be perfect. I'm going to fall somewhere sort of in that weird middle ground. And I want you to kind of look at this illustration real quick because this curtain back here is here for a purpose. This represents sort of what it looks like to date in the gray. And now this black section over here, the black section of this curtain, this represents the things that we probably as a group would consider to be wrong. When we, when we create our own morality, when, when we are kind of honest with ourselves and we're like, God, I don't know if I trust you fully on how to steward my, my sexuality and relationships. Um, so we form our own, our own kind of morality. This over here represents the things that we draw a line at and say, this is wrong. Now this area, this black area, it thrives on throwing caution to the wind and doing anything with whomever, whenever you want to do. That, that is kind of where this wrong, this black area resides. And this area is guided by every relational and sexual impulse that you have. This area is, is do whatever you want. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Like you are your own guide. That is kind of that area. And so just, just for example's sake, everybody might have sort of their own scale, but just for example's sake, things in this area might be with having sex with whomever, whenever you want. That might be something that you're like, no, that's my line. Like, I, I'm not going to, that's wrong to me. Or maybe over in this area is lying and cheating. Like, okay, if I'm in a relationship, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat. Like, that is wrong. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be a cheater. 
or maybe over in this area, is I'm never going to pay for sex. Prostitution, that is a line I'm not going to cross. Like, that is in the black area for me. And so that, that's kind of like how our morality sort of forms this line that I'm not going to cross. Now, over here, we have the white section. Now, this section represents going out of your way in this season of life to honor God with your sexuality and with your relationships. This section represents pursuing holiness, even if you're not perfect. Pursuing holiness because God called you to pursue holiness. This would be the place where God's blessing and God's favor resides over relationships. And here's the thing, whether you admit it or not, this is the place that every single human being wants their relationships to be. This section, it thrives on clear boundaries and waiting for anything sexual in a relationship to occur under the covenant of marriage. That is sort of this white section over here. And over here we have the gray section. I feel like this is where most of us, again, myself included, sort of spend the majority of our dating lives, this gray area. This is where we want to honor God so badly. But we also know that time is ticking. We're not getting any younger. We've got options. People are showing interest. And we don't really know what to do. We're afraid to lose out. And so we form our own little version of what's right and what's wrong. And it's that fuzzy little area. And listen, the gray area thrives in comparison and technicalities. The gray area thrives in comparison and technicalities. Now, I'm not doing this, but at least I'm not doing that. I might not be living the way I know I should, but listen, there's way more that I could be doing. And so I find myself just sort of happy over here somewhere in the middle. And now listen, I'm not doing this to be, I don't know, try to be some uh, cool, pa is that even real, like cool pastor? I don't know, like, I don't want to like, this isn't for shock and awe, but I was thinking about this a lot. Um, I want to lay out some things that might fall in this gray area. Now, again, everybody has their own moral compass and their own sliding scale if you're dating sort of in the gray area. So maybe you fall into this, maybe you don't, but please hear me. If I say something and I step on your toes, I'm going to borrow a line from Doug. I might offend your mind, but I feel like your soul is going to kind of be like, man, I want that challenge. If you were on the retreat, Doug talked about how when our mind and sort of the way we live is offended, a lot of the times our soul is like, no, I need that. I need to be pushed. I need to be reminded that there's more for me out there. And so when I talk about this, it's not just to be a prude. Listen, I'm married. I have sex more than most people in this room. Okay. And so <laughs> I'm just saying, I got a baby girl on the way. Like we know how it works. Some of y'all are like, I, I wish I lived my whole life without knowing that. But, <laughs> but I want to give you some examples because the worst thing I want to do is come up here, talk about this gray area, and be vague. Because what happens when we're vague in this is that we begin to give ourselves narratives to justify continuing to live in this gray area. And so here's what I want to talk about. Examples of dating in the gray. Living together before you're married. Yeah, but I mean, we got separate rooms. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but rents, it's expensive in Denver, you know? Like, we're doing it to be economical. Like, it's expensive because thousands of people move here a month. You can find another roommate. You know what I mean? Like, 
No, but here's the thing. We're practically married, and so it just makes sense. Listen, ladies, I'm about to be a dad to a daughter, and so I've been thinking more about, like, girls and how I want to raise my daughter. Listen, if you are practically married, I am practically an NFL player because I play in the Red Rocks Flag Football League every Friday night. If in your mind you are practically married, I'm in the NFL. I'll sign autographs later. Because here's why. If there's not a ring on your finger, and even more importantly than that, if you are not under covenantal relationship with witnesses from your friends and family who say, I am going to hold you accountable to this marriage until death do you part, you are not married. And so I want you to know, because listen, you're more valuable than being practically married. You're worth being married, married. And here's the thing about being practically married and living together when you're kind of dating in the gray. One, statistically, it shows that even if you are not sleeping together, if you are living together, you have a higher percent chance of getting divorced when you are actually married and you continue to live, each, live together. Why? Because what living together does is gives you this false narrative that everything is great and marriage is going to be great and, and, and I just, I just like can do this for whatever and it's all good times. But what happens when you butt up against a bad time? Because when you're living together and you're not married, bad times say, hey, I'll see you later on to the next one. But when you're actually married, marriage says, no, I made a covenant to you. I'm staying in this through thick and thin. I don't have anywhere else to go. I don't have anybody on the side. I'm not sleeping in the car because it's cold outside. Like living together, man, that's, that's a gray area. Or maybe you're like, listen, I don't, we don't live together. I just stay over till 5 a.m. As long as I'm done, as long as I leave before the sun comes up, we're good, right? We're good. We're not technically living together because I leave uh, right as the sun's coming up. Or hey, we're just going on trips together, right? And we're staying in the same room. But listen, we do that because it's economically savvy, right? Like, well, we can't go to like the, the Florida Keys or we can't go to Spain and stay in two separate rooms. We'd be spending thousands of dollars. So when we plan these trips or when we go camping or when we do whatever, yeah, we sleep in the same tent, we sleep in the same bed. But listen, it's so we save money. Sure. Okay. <laughs> or maybe for you, it's dating somebody who isn't also a follower of Jesus. Maybe that's sort of that gray area. And you're like, well, he's coming to church because he loves me. No, you want to know how long that's going to last? This long. Like, I promise you. Listen, he loves things about you, but you don't want somebody who's coming to church to check a box of obligation for you so that they can say, listen, hey, I did what you asked me to do. Now it's time for you to maybe do what I'm asking you to do. Save yourself pain, scars, heartbreak. Date somebody who is also pursuing the same things that you are pursuing. If they are only coming to church for you, it's not good. And listen, we want you in church. If you are in here and your girlfriend or boyfriend dragged you into church, sorry, but not sorry. Like, come back next week, though. It's, you know what I mean? Like, you're too valuable to have to carry that baggage into other relationships. Maybe you're not dating somebody that's following, that's following Jesus, but maybe your gray area is watching pornography. Maybe you're in a relationship 
and you are addicted to porn and you've started to justify it because you said, hey, I look at this so that when we are together, we don't mess up because I value this person and I have needs. I know that I don't want to be physical with them. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get my, get my needs met from something else. And we're back into that game of, well, I know it's not this, but it's not this. And so it's somewhere in the middle. Maybe you're in a relationship, you're addicted to pornography. Maybe you're not addicted to pornography, but maybe you're in a relationship and there's some accounts you follow on the gram that you shouldn't be following. Some half-naked ladies, some dudes that barely wear anything. It's quiet in here, man. (laughs) You follow some accounts on the gram and you're like, I do it because I appreciate the artwork. (laughs) I don't know if you realize this or not, but I'm really big into photography and I've... There's just, some, there's just some accounts that really just spark my creativity. And so, no, it's because there's people in their underwear half naked and you follow them because you want to look at that. Like, hey, that, that's that gray area where it's like, yeah, but it's not porn. Like, nobody's having sex, but I, yeah, I agree. There's probably better things that I could be following or, or giving my attention to. Maybe you don't follow accounts, but maybe you send naked pictures to one another. I'm going there, so just buckle up. If I haven't read your mail yet, I'm about to, so just (laughs) hold on. Maybe you're sending naked pictures of one another because you're like, listen, hey, we are both young. I have worked out so hard. I've done keto for six months. I haven't looked at a carb. I'm cherishing this. Listen, when we get married, I'm putting it above our bed. Like I'm like, I will never look this good in the rest of my life. And you're sending naked pictures to one another. And what you're doing is you're making something that God made to be special very common. You're making your bodies, which are temples of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that next week. You're making your bodies, which are temples that God has made for you to enjoy with your spouse, something that is common. And again, you're like, well, yeah, but we do that because we know we don't want to do anything physical when we're together. We don't want to be over here. But I guess you're right. We're probably not the best thing that we could probably be doing. Maybe for you it's random hookups. Maybe you're like, you like to go to a bar, go to a club, whatever, and you just kind of like that one night stand kind of thing. And you're like, listen, it was mutual. We both agreed on it. There's nothing shady going on. It's just, I, I just, I have needs and I got to get my needs met. And this is how it's done. And I do it every once in a while. And then I'm done for a long time. And when I get that urge, it's just what happens. Maybe that's sort of your gray area. All right, we ready to dive in? Maybe, maybe the gray for you is just fooling around, but not going all the way. And listen, I said I don't want to be vague, so I'm going to be crystal clear. Here we go. Let's be adults. Ready? This involves any touching or kissing that would otherwise be covered by underwear. Now, I'm going to go even further, just so there's no confusion. I am talking here about manual sex. And let me define manual sex. Manual sex is any sexual act done with your hand or with your fingers. And just so I'm more clear, this includes feet for anyone that's about that life. Like, no judgment. I'm just saying. Maybe a little judgment, but I don't know. Told you I'm going there. Hey, this involves, maybe fooling around for you, this involves oral sex, which all of us know is any sexual act done with your mouth. 
Or maybe for you, a gray area is sex in areas that sex was never meant to take place. Don't make me say it. <laughs> Anal sex, there I said it. You're like, hey, but it's not, it's not the real thing. I know there are probably better things I could be doing, but it's not the real thing. So I feel like I'm good. I'm somewhere. I just said I wouldn't do the real thing. When we start to date in this gray area, when we find our sexuality and our relationships being dictated by this weird middle ground where our guide is, how far can I push the line before my conscience tells me I've crossed it? We will constantly find ourselves looking for technicalities and finding justifications for why I know it's not the best that God has for me, but at least it's not as bad as fill in the blank for you. And hear me. This is why this is so important. And, and please hear my heart. This is why this is so important. Dating in the gray, managing your sexuality and relationships in this weird gray area in this season of life. This is not a stagnant thing that happens. Dating in the gray is not stagnant. The more you date in the gray, the more you spend your dating time in this area, sooner or later, the more you find you're making justification after justification after justification for why, oh, that's okay. We went there last time, but I think I can take a little step further because I didn't really feel guilty. Like uh, we can go a little bit further because I don't think we crossed the line. Like you will continue to find justifications for pushing the boundary until one day you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, how did I get here? How did I get here? What? Uh, when I started out in this relationship, I wanted to live holy. I wanted to be set apart. I wanted to honor God with my sexuality and in my relationships. But man, I was tempted and man, they look good. And man, I just... And eventually what happens is compromise after compromise after compromise leaves it to where most of your relationship is now resting in this area of compromise. And you wake up one day and realize, where have my convictions gone? Where have my convictions gone? I wanted to honor God. I wasn't trying to go this far. I didn't start out this way. I had good intentions. My heart was good. My heart was pure through this process, but I didn't want them to leave. I didn't want to spend another Friday night alone. I didn't want to feel like I'm the only one in the world not doing this thing. And so compromise after compromise leads to just deeper and deeper dating dysfunction in this gray area. Ben, you guys can make your way on up. There's a story in the Bible about a guy named Samson. Now, Samson, uh, he was called by God during the time where Israelites were a tribal nation. He was called by God to be a leader of his people. Before Samson was even born, the Bible says he was set apart. An angel of the Lord prophesied to his mom and said, you've got a leader on your hands. And he's also going to be a Nazarite. Now, a Nazarite in that time simply meant that he was going to be set apart for God. That meant three things. He couldn't cut his hair. He couldn't drink wine. And he couldn't touch dead bodies. And so Samson, he's set apart. 
And, and Israel was constantly in, in this ongoing battle with this people group called the Philistines. They were constantly fighting over territory. And, and Samson, while his hair was long, God would actually give him supernatural strength to fight these wars. He was a leader, but he was also a warrior. And God would give him these supernatural strengths to be able to defeat his enemies like no one single man could. He was a one-man wrecking crew. And, and eventually, even though Samson was set apart, he didn't take this commitment to honor God seriously. And so Samson, you can read his story, Judges 13 through Judges 16. He lives his entire life in this gray area where God wanted to bless him and make him fruitful and make him a leader. But Samson doesn't take it seriously. And so he lives his whole life in this gray area, always towing the line and seeing how close to the line can I get without technically crossing it. While Samson, he eventually finds himself falling in love with a Philistine girl, a girl from the enemies that God has told him to go fight and to conquer. And he would go and he would see her and he would talk to her and he would stay over at her house late at night. And eventually he would start making these little compromises moment by moment. She would say, Samson, you so fine. I love those muscles. You doing keto too? Me too, you know? <laughs> Samson, you look so good. How, how are you so strong? Like, where does your strength come from? And he's like, oh, girl, quit playing. I go to the gym six hours a day. No. He's like, listen, I, I'm strong. God gave me my strength. If you tie me up with ropes, if you tie me up with leather belts, all my strength will go away. And eventually, it wasn't in one moment. It was question after question, compromise after compromise after compromise that led to this point where Samson actually said, hey, if you cut my hair, I'll actually be weak and there's nothing I can do. And so Delilah gets these two Philistine soldiers, three Philistine soldiers, and cuts his hair. And she's like, Samson, the Philistines are here and they're, and they're trying to kill you. And he gets up and all his strength is gone. And then it says a couple chapters later, it says that Samson, they torture him, they tie him up, they chain him up, and everybody laughs at him, everybody mocks him because they know this was the guy that was crushing us. And look at him now. But the Bible says his hair started to grow back again. And Samson, in sort of this lowest moment he's ever had, wakes up and realizes, man, what have I done? How did I get here? I never meant to get to this point. Like, yeah, I told the line a little bit, but I never thought it would take me this far. And the Bible says in a moment, Samson calls out to God and says, God, forgive me. God, will you give me strength one more time so that I can redeem myself against my enemies? And God says, you got it. And God meets Samson where he's at and gives him his strength back. Young adults, could y'all stand for a minute? Maybe you've been in this season of life, this dating and relationships or, or handling your sexuality and your dating and, and your entire dating life has been spent in this gray area. Maybe your entire dating life, it just feels like, man, I wanna honor God, but, but honestly, I'm afraid of missing out. And so what's happened is with good intentions, with a good heart, you've just made a little compromise after a little compromise until you've realized you wake up one day and you're like, oh my gosh, how did I get here? How am I addicted 
to these things? How have I gotten so deep into this relationship that I just, I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm drowning. I wanna reassure you tonight that when you call out to Jesus, he'll forgive you. The Bible says there is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation that you need to walk in. There's no shame that you need to feel. All of those emotions, all of those feelings that the enemy loves to try to beat you up with were put on Jesus on the cross because he knew that we weren't capable of handling those. And so if you're in here tonight and your whole dating relationship, your whole life has been spent in the gray area, maybe tonight you need to cry out, Father, will you forgive me? I wanna, I wanna draw a line in the sand tonight. I, I wanna be a person of morals. I wanna be a person of value. I wanna be a person of character, God. I want my relationships and my sexuality to honor you, God. I wanna be holy because you're holy. God, I want that so bad. And you know what God's gonna say? Done, let's do it, let's do it. Let, let, let's, let's get you holy. Let's have those relationships be holy. And maybe some of you are in here tonight and you're like, man, if you only knew how far I've gone, if you only knew how deep into the gray my life is right now, I wanna remind you of something. The Bible says that God casts your sins as far as the east is from the west. And get this, it says he actually remembers them no more. And so tonight, if you wanna take a, a stand, if you wanna draw a line in the sand and say, no longer am I gonna live in relationships of compromise, no longer am I gonna have a sexuality marked by compromise, I want a sexuality marked by holiness, I want relationships marked by purity. God says, let's do it. And you're like, but God, don't you know everything I've done? And he's like, actually, I forgot. Because I remember that time at Young Adults where you said, God, I want to take a stand. The things that I remember about you are that that moment you said, God, I want to be holy. And God says, okay, let's be holy. And so Young Adults tonight, I want to challenge you. Blessing is on the side of honoring God. Blessing is on the side of going out of your way to pursue holiness, to be as holy as you can. And listen to me. If you're in here and you want to be married, God says those who desire a wife desire a good thing. In God's timing, that might happen for you. And I promise you when it does, if you've pursued holiness throughout your, throughout your singleness and your dating, man, your marriage is gonna be something like you never expected. You're gonna walk in a healthy, whole person. You're not gonna be carrying a ton of baggage with you, but you're gonna be, hey, I might not have been perfect, but I pursued God in this season of life and my life is blessed. Could everybody close your eyes? I know this might be weird, but I just felt like the Holy Spirit leading me. I, I never wanna talk about the things of God without giving somebody an opportunity to meet God. Because tonight, you don't have to come in here and wonder about God. You don't have to hear somebody else talk about God. You can actually meet God yourself, for yourself. And right now, I believe that somebody in this room, the Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart. It might feel like adrenaline, your heart rate might be pumping. That's God reaching out to you. If you're in this room tonight and you don't know who Jesus is, would you raise your hand? If you want to get to know who Jesus is, even if it's just one person, man, I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, there's one person I'm coming after tonight. If you don't know who Jesus is and you want to get to know a relationship with God, would you raise your hand? I see you. I see you. That's awesome. Can we give it up for those people? Hey, if you're in here tonight and maybe you're like, man, my 
you read my mail, like my life is marked by the things that you talked about. There's a new beginning in Jesus for you right now. All you have to do is say, God, will you forgive me? God, will you save me? God, I wanna be new, I wanna be whole. I wanna be holy the way you tell me to be holy. And God says, done. I did it for you. All you have to do is say, I want it. God will meet you. The Holy Spirit is your power in this. He will meet you and he will walk you into relationships that are pure. He will tell you how to steward your sexuality so that you are pure in that area. And there's nothing that you've done in your past that he holds against you. You are clean. You are pure. You are whole because of everything that Jesus did. If you are in here tonight and you say, God, I want to take a stand for my dating. I want to take a stand for my sexuality. Would you raise your hand? hands all across the room. Can we pray together and we're going to worship? Father God, Lord, you're so good. And your ways for us are so much better than what we could ever think. God, I pray that tonight, as people have a moment with you, God, I pray that you would just begin to speak to people's hearts. If there's people in here that have been living in this gray area, God, would you push them, not out of guilt, not out of condemnation, but out of love because you have more for them to take a step, to take a stand and say, no, from this day forward, I'm going to be pure. I'm going to pursue holiness because God has made me pure. God has made me holy. And I'm going to give everything I have, my life, my singleness, my marriage, my relationships to honoring God. And I believe that tonight, God, as we worship you, your Holy Spirit will begin to speak to us. You'll challenge us. You'll encourage us. And we will say yes to what you've put on our hearts tonight. Jesus, it is in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen.